This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's never a good sign when I'm the one presenting a logical solution. Scott Owen. James, can I just make this one quick point? And Adam Pace. Uh, I'm a male. No. Starting now. Well, to paraphrase Gennaro Gattuso, football sometimes may be good, sometimes maybe not so good, and it was a lot more of the latter for the Brisbane Raw last weekend. Hello, everyone. We've got another episode of the Brisbane Football Review coming your way. And, uh, well, look, we've had cheerier uh, occasions to get together and spend 45 minutes to an hour, but we'll try our best to uh, cheer you up or at least provide some audio therapy over what was a pretty frustrating weekend overall. Scott, how's the blood pressure after the last uh, few games? Uh slowly decreasing but it wasn't the greatest of weekends was it and a bit of bit of controversy on Friday night and I think the less said about the weather conditions on Saturday the better although we will have well, to touch on it later yes we will and uh, Adam I don't know how you can follow that so I'll just say uh, how good was Rihanna on Monday I don't know I didn't watch it apparently apparently 119 million watched it but I didn't and that was just in the yeah. US but uh, that, that interrupted a, f- a football game but whatever or, some, or, or depending on uh, who, which people in the stands you talk to, the game was bookended either side of the concert. <laughs> but anyway, uh, enough said. Let's uh, get into our A-League men's recap, because we'll go through chronologically as we are want to do. That's want with an O. And uh, yeah, the Raw t- went down to the Mariners 2-1. And look, I'm, I, I'm still going to stay optimistic and say finals football is not beyond them. I still think... The rest of the league is uh, not really setting the world alight outside of Melbourne City. But in terms of a blow to their finals hope, it was kind of like nine pins out of ten getting knocked down, Scott. It feels a bit like that, doesn't it? I think you're being optimistic with the um, presumption about the rest of the league. But on Friday night, I thought the Mariners were really good, actually. Away from home, difficult for them given their travel issue. They couldn't travel up on Thursday. They had to travel up on the day of the game. That made it more difficult for them. And given that, they were really impressed. I thought they particularly once they did get in, in the lead of the game, I thought they really shut it down quite nice. So I thought it was a really good road win for the Mariners. Well, I'm sure we'll get to the controversial moments in a minute, but on the whole, I thought it was a good result, good performance from Central Coast. And Brisbane, once again, just not quite able to get over the line. Yeah, look, it was a, um, I think in a, I guess, a ju- if you could judge it, I'd say uh, Central Coast Mariners were probably slightly the better team. I thought Raw were good in patches, but uh, look, given that everything that uh, that Central Coast went through to even get to the game, I thought that they they, they show that they're, they're a finals calibre team, whereas I think Raw, I still think we're asking questions about whether or not that you know, even finals football maybe even mathematically still be on, but the way they're playing at the moment, I just don't, I just don't know. I think the, the sort of the lack of attack again um, is, is what is going to be their Achilles heel and by the time that they get a solution to that it may well be too late yeah I would I, I would say look you know mathematically possible are the two words that uh, every optimistic Raw fan would be holding on to right now I think the Mariners were that great because of the rough build up they had I thought they left the door open for the Raw and it did sort of follow that similar pattern that we've been seeing from the side pretty much all season where they were hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. But, you know, unlike for the first half of the season, they couldn't find a way to get that second half goal that would have given them the desired outcome. 
Yeah, not, again, yeah. look, I thought that, look, up until the first goal, they were all well and truly in the game, and they were in the game, and they just gave away a sloppy goal, which is something they've done a couple of times. Did it last week away when we were talking about the Steve winner for Adelaide. It was very similar, wasn't it? A turnover in the back third, and then they, Adelaide went straight through and scored. This time, the Mariners scored from a set piece, which has also been an, uh, an ongoing concern for the Raw in the last year or so, conceding from set pieces. So it just seems like they do enough to hang around in games. They don't do enough to go and actually get something out of them. To Adam's point, the attacking group is here now, but are they going to be up and running in time to save the season? It's a question. Yeah, and it was a first start for Taras Gamulka in midfield. Uh, we saw Noah Smith, and he looked busy in his limited action. It was also a debut for uh, Stefan Stepovic, is how I believe uh, he wants it pronounced, so we'll run with that. And, um, yeah, it, the brigade is here, but they haven't really got a whole lot of time to acclimatise now. I know um, I'm talking about uh, the players that came from the European winter needing to adjust to some pretty miserable weather uh, here with the heat and humidity, but... It's kind of hard to be too sympathetic when not just finals football, but you could argue quite a few jobs are going on the line over the next 10 or so uh, weeks, Adam. Yeah, look, I think that's, and that's probably, as we said last week, I think that might be, there may be no such thing as relegation in the A-League, but I think within the club, I think, yeah, there's something, there's something even bigger at stake. And I think a lot of people's livelihoods may be on the line in, in, the, in the next coming coming weeks. But, um, yeah, look, that's, that's, I think that's what comes down to, really, is that uh, I think the most frustrating thing of all is that the Raw are there and abouts. There's the there's the building blocks for a very very good competitive team, and I think obviously luck is sort of not with them at the moment. You now a couple of really really you know, look whichever way the fence are some really controversial calls that you know have been costly. Uh, but um, yeah, I think I think you'd almost see. I think the most frustrating thing of all is the fact is that you can tell that there is a good team there. It's just that they're not winning the key moments. That they you know, good teams make their own luck. They, and they, and they, they seem to be uh, completely out of it at the moment. But, um, yeah, I, I'd, almost, I'd almost be happier sitting here saying, oh, the Royal getting beaten every week. They're, like, they're, they're really, you know, below the standard. You know, but the fact is that they are showing signs that they're close enough to pretty much challenge any, any club in the competition. Uh, but yet, they're not, they're the, the results are not on the board. And sadly, there's going to be consequences at the end of the season if things don't change. Yeah, it's what I've been saying for the last seven years and 200 and something episodes on this podcast where you know they're operating in a results driven industry and while they may not suffer you know relegation if they finish uh, bottom two or whatever still finishing uh, in the bottom uh, out or near the bottom of the ladder for a second straight year is going to have massive consequences on the side and uh, we were talking about this uh, work today with some of the guys at work um, about the roar and I'm saying outside of the Jets game in a couple of weeks ago and the Melbourne City game back in October, I can't think of a time where the Raw have been like thoroughly second best um, in a match. Every game they play, it seems like they're either chasing a winner or an equaliser late on and they've got something to play for You know, as we always enter stoppage time. And I think that's got to be what's the most frustrating thing about it for me is They've been close, but mm. 
going the other way, like when they were sitting in fourth place um, ahead of that Perth away trip, I think we all agreed that maybe it was a bit of a false dawn and, you know, they weren't necessarily the fourth place side, but I'm also looking at them in 10th and thinking they're not the third worst side in the A-League either, where I feel like, you know, one or two things bounce their way and they're probably sitting in about 6th or 7th right now, which maybe is where they should be, but they just cannot seem to catch a break at the moment and it almost feels like that defeat that they suffered that ended the long unbeaten run, it almost burst the uh, confidence bubble and for one reason or another, they just haven't been able to respond the way that you would have hoped that they would, Scott. I think all the draws as well over the course of the season really, in the early part of the season, were really frustrating for the group as well, Jane. Think about all those early draws where they were on top in games, were coming back in games and had the ascendancy at the end, they weren't quite able to get over the line and get that late win. I think that also got on top of them. But you mentioned where they are on the table. Just look at Sydney. A couple of weeks ago, Sydney were where the Roar are. Sydney win a couple of games. They're all of a sudden in and around the top six and things are looking fantastic once again for them. So it can change quickly. It's yeah. not a hundred, It's not lost where the um, the finals are gone, but they've got some must-win games coming up in the next couple of weeks where they're playing teams in and around them. On the, the next three games are Sydney away, Perth at home, MacArthur away. They're games that if they're all going to make a push for the finals, they've almost got to win those games to get the momentum going again. And also it's points taken away from teams that'll be fighting for the finals so they've got some big games coming up but they've got to start picking up points well I don't know if you guys heard it in stadium but the um, chat Warren did with Hinksy before beforehand where he basically just admitted like they've got to win and we'll talk more about some of Warren's other quotes um, coming up but like the fact that like he's not sugarcoating it either he knows like it's win or go home at this stage as well and I think right now they need to win to make sure that their final three, four games mean anything. And then those final three or four games will be win to get into the finals. But they do need a massive uptick. And you look at the uh, players like Stepovich, um, Noah Smith, Gamulka, Robbie Cruz, who, look, I'll give him uh, a free pass for missing uh, Friday night's game for the birth of his second child. Completely understandable that, but... they're all going to have to come in and just hit the ground running. Like, there's no space here for them to sort of come in and take their time to find their footing. They really do need to just come in, Scott. And that's the most exciting thing about Marcel Canardi, who we saw make a debut in Newcastle a couple of weeks ago, and we haven't seen him since. So he's another player. I know you mentioned that Gamulka and Noah Smith and Sepovic all made their first, first appearance for two of the three, and the other one made the first start on the weekend. Robbie Cruz would have played if but for the, the birth of his child. But the fact that Marcel Canadi has been here a month and we've only seen limited action from him and there doesn't appear to be any guarantee 100% he'll be available for this weekend going forward either, that's a bit of a concern because they're going to need him up and firing as well. Yeah, that is a massive red flag is the fact that they were chasing a win late in the game and he was still on the bench. Like, at some point, you've got to say to the player as well like get out there like we need we need you we're paying you to play get out there not like, just paying to play they're, essentially they're paying him to save their season 
So, yeah, it, like I said, you'd be a bit worried if this was actually, if it was in a, an alternate reality where there was relegation, you bring in a player like that who is clearly, clearly here to make make a difference. Uh, yeah, and him not playing, it, it's a massive red flag at the moment. I, I And to, to be honest, I don't know where he fits in. I don't, I don't know where he fits into this side. You know, now, you know, obviously, now you bring, now that the signs of Gamorka in, you know, uh, Sepovic is in, Robbie Cruz. Where did he play in po- the debut we made? It was sort of just a free attacker when they were trying to chase down, I think it was at the time, a 2-0 uh, deficit to the Jets. But we will possibly talk about that a little bit later on because Warren did uh, have a chat with Marco Monteverde and I th- wouldn't mind getting into that in a little bit more depth later on. Because right now, we do need to talk about the highly controversial second penalty uh, for the Mariners. My reaction post-game was that was um, the best air swing... Like, Scott Neville's uh, air swing uh, was the best I've seen since Harry Kuehl against Uruguay in 2005. There was no contact there. Like, I cannot see how... Having looked at that replay, you can look at it and say, yep, there was clear definitive contact. I know... It was called a penalty on the field, so they've got to find evidence to go the other way. But on a, it was just such like it was a bad call. But you know, all I all I'm thinking as well is clearly Danny, Danny Vukovic's uh, expletive laden tirade at Jonathan Barrero heading into halftime had some sort of effect because yeah, I, I also don't know how you can get away with saying some of the things I overheard to the ref. But what can you say about that? I did. Oh, oh, I, go ahead. I was gonna say I'm just yeah I'm still trying to figure it out. I only look I, look I get it I I get that you know from what we hear that the it was a case of the, the call had to stand because there was no evidence to go the other way. But that's so against the grain of things you know at the moment where you know usually it's the the referees were erring wearing on the side of don't make the call and VAR may will save you. The fact that look, and I'm not. I'm actually, to be honest, it's a case of you know. Normally, I say you know for the referee, you know what well, the fact that he made a call, you know, good, you know, good on him. But I just, I just don't know how. I just don't know how he came up with that call. It, it was look, yeah, you know, like we were surmising up in the in the box that that, that maybe it was for it was for a high con like a, a high foot or something like that for dangerous conduct or something like that. But even that was quickly sort of shut down. Going, oh no way. So I just I. I, other than he must have thought there was contact from the vantage point he had, and then he, it, there wasn't enough evidence to use VAR to overturn it. That's the only thing I can come up with. But it was a really sort of tough call, and um, yeah, like I said, it, it proved to be decisive. Yeah, it was a really harsh call, wasn't it? He must. He did. Looking back, he did have a pretty good view of the incident, referee Jonathan Barrero. So he must have been really confident with whatever he's seen to give the penalty because he was decisive, James. He didn't didn't like delay on it he gave it straight away there was he was clearly adamant that whatever he thought he saw was a penalty and obviously VAR didn't see anything that they could use to overturn it I thought it was a harsh decision I probably wouldn't have given it but I also think the one the Raw got in the first half was probably a bit soft as well so I don't know if there was a tiny bit of a square up in the referee's mind or whatever but that was also a bit of a soft one as well so probably a couple of questionable decisions one each way in the in the grand scheme of things yeah, although I will say on that um, first penalty, I agree it was 100% soft, but you compare the two and there was no way that it's it was... It's much more of a penalty, isn't it, the first one? Yeah. Yeah, and also the fact that I don't think Barrera was the one that gave it. I'm pretty sure it was the assistant on 
uh, the eastern side, the the near side, uh, who had happened right in front of, uh, was the one that signalled for it because Barrero didn't call it straight away, and he looked at the assistant uh, for clarification. There was a fairly lengthy delay, so. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's what we have to say on the penalty. Um, let's hear what Warren Moon had to say. What did you make of it? And what's your understanding of what it was for? You'll have to ask the referees on that one. I know what the VAR box said. I know what they thought, but I know the rules. You can't overturn it if there's not, if it's been given on the field. They didn't think it was a pen, but they couldn't overturn it. So that's where we're at. We're at a, a situation in the game two weeks in a row now where Brisbane Raw have had a key decision gone against them, which has ultimately cost us points. All right, that was uh, a very, very, very angry Warren Moon uh, after the game, and we were talking about it afterwards. You know, Warren, he's a fairly mild-mannered guy at the best of times, so for him that was, what, maybe a 9.4, 9.5 on the blow-up scale? Yeah, that's up there. By Warren's standards, that's up there. Mm. I mean, done yeah. a lot of interviews with Warren in the A-League oh, and also yeah. in the NPL. He doesn't get fired up too often, but that was that was right up there by his standards. And yeah, look, I I really do hate the whole blame the referee thing, but I also think you do need to be able to say didn't have the best game. It wasn't just one isolated incident. The two penalties were like as we've said, both soft. I would say one was not one was soft, one was non-existent, um, but. Just throughout the game as well, you could see both teams were getting really, really irritated with the way that the match was being officiated. And it's where I come back to, though, where you can say, you know, the refereeing isn't good enough, the you need to find better referees, but you go down, you go down, and like it's a really hard thing to find good referees because the ones that I feel like do have that sort of backbone to come out and make the tough calls and, you know, withstand what is a fairly toxic culture, especially, you know, starting at the lower level where you get parents or, you know, pub footballers abusing them profusely. It's really hard to get them through the cracks as well. And the ones that do officiate to the letter of the law, they also find themselves getting drummed out of the game because they're just sick of being like crapped on the way that they are, Scott. Yeah, it's also, it seems like it might be something at the APL need to have a look at as well, because I know John Aloisi had some comments about the refereeing after Western lost to Adelaide over the weekend. So I think he was talking about he'd had, they'd had a particular referee four or five times and over the course of the season, and there was other referees they hadn't had at all. So I don't know if it... There's, there might be some things to have to look at regarding the scheduling or the allotment of referees as well, but it just seems like there's a couple of issues at the moment. On, the, on Friday night, I mean, after the two points were given, it did seem like the referee did lose a little bit of control, didn't it? I know the I know the, the fans in the ground got on his back because they gave a penalty against the home side. That was questionable at best, but it seemed like he lost a bit of control as well. The one thing I would say, and you know, it may just be a simple fix in my mind, and only in my mind, but I, I want to see referees getting a lot more power to sort of stamp out the dissent, because I feel like if the referee you know, is has the power to you know, show yellow cards or even send off uh, players or coaches for that sort of really aggressive descent, maybe they're going to be operating in a slightly less stressful environment where they're thinking, great, you know, if I call this foul, I'm going to have Isais leading uh, six players screaming in my face. There when is. I, 
Yeah. Oh. I was going to say, I, I, I wonder what I wonder what Graham Harvey said to the referee because he got a, he got a yellow card. Okay, he did. I was wondering about that. Yes, but, he did. But like, it is one of those two way street things where like y- the referees do need a lot more thing. And I look at one of the other sports that I follow quite closely, and you look at rugby union. Outside of you know maybe a couple of scrum halves worldwide the respect that referees get is off the charts. You know, you get the guy who's just been done for standing on someone's face thinking it was the ball and, you know, kicking, punching, whatever, and they will go up to the referee with a meek expression and go, yes, sir, sorry, sir, I understand, I'm off. Like, there there does need to be that sort of culture overhaul and, you know, I don't know what it'll do to fix decisions that people don't like, but... The one well, that, well that's, that's what it comes down to, really, is that, yeah, look, we'll all stand here and say, look, Jonathan Barrero didn't have a good game. But that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that, oh, we say, oh, they, he's terrible all the time. Like, so I've actually seen him do have some good games. It's it's human nature. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make crucial mistakes, you know, and and it, ha- it happens. So this whole notion of, oh, we need to get better referees and whatever, where? From where? You know, that's the thing is, like, you should be able to allow it as fans, as, as pundits, as, as media, we, we, we should at least be able to say, and even, you know, coaches and players, yes, this referee had a bad game. But that doesn't mean to say, oh, that you put an X against their name, that every single time that they that they officiate, before they've been blown a whistle, you write him off and say, oh, they're terrible, or oh, the whole system needs it, because this is a worldwide problem. Yeah. This is a I like how the VAR like to... has suddenly solved all the problems. Yeah. Like, VAR was going to solve all this. VAR's no made it controversy. Works. I mean, I, yeah. I actually think VAR in, in, it in solved the, of... it solved this solved this on the weekend, didn't it? Yeah, VAR yeah. in fact, I think has made it like for, as far as the standing for the respective referees and the officials has actually made it worse because now you're officializing these these little mar- margins of errors where you know at the end of the day, as I said before. If without VAR, without the you know the the ten replays from different views and angles, if Jonathan Barrera gives that decision, I'm going wow, that's a, that's an interesting call. But I respect that. But the fact that then I see all the replays, I'm thinking, oh, he's got that one wrong. So I, I don't I don't know. Like I said, yeah, he had a bad game, and you know we we have to live with that. And unfortunately, people's jobs may be on the line because of that. But at the end of the day, this whole notion, oh, that you need better referees and all that. Well, I don't know where you get them from because even the so-called Premier League, you know, the best league in the world, uh, they're they're having problems there. We even saw it at the World Cup, and they're supposedly the best referees in the world. That, but there's still you know, issues there. So I, I don't know. I, I, it's a case of you know what you got to accept the fact that they, they had a bad game, but we move well, on. Well, two points, and then we will move on. As as you mentioned, the Premier League has had all sorts of issues as well with officiating and. The one thing that really does get at me is when people say, I'm going to stop watching the A-League because of a bad refereeing decision. Now I'm going to go watch Arsenal get robbed of two points uh, against Brentford because the VAR uh, couldn't be bothered drawing an offside line. So don't tell me that this is a reason to stop watching the A-League because, again, you go worldwide as well. where You look at the final uh, couple of minutes of the Super Bowl, which was essentially decided because of a ticky-tack penalty. You look at, you know, Super Rugby, they're bringing in all these law changes to try and minimise the impact of the referees officiating to what is a stupidly complex uh, rule book. And I'm sure once AFL and NRL kick off again, we're going to have our weekly, oh my God, um, 
Jeff ditch the Smith. bunker. Yeah, ditch the bunker. But on VAR, uh, the main re- <laughs> well, the issue with it was it was sold that it was going to remove uh, things, but it, we're still getting the same mistakes. It was meant to it, resolve confusion like this, wasn't it? This yeah. is a, it's it's solved nothing. Just get rid of it. Yeah. Go back anyway. to trusting the referee. Yep. Well, but the problem is, you get rid of VAR and you're still going to have incidents like the 2012 Grand Final, which, by the way, Danny Vukovic, great job saving that late penalty. Oh, wait, he didn't. Um, you look at that sort You look at that sort of stuff and go, there is no way that uh, people are going to just accept uh, decisions not going their way. They're not accepting it now, though. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, Human don't nature. Tell me that you're go- but don't tell me people are going to go back and accept that, oh, the referee just made a mistake when you know there's a missed uh, penalty or something late on in a crucial game because they won't. They no, I, 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 they I disagree with James here. I think the genie's out of the bottle, unfortunately, and yeah, a lot of it, it's, it is going to be hard. It, it is like a, it'll be almost generational that you that you'd need to change change it now that you know, VARs had such an such an impact. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's but, it's like I said, it's it's beyond the, our realm of, of us three solving this issue. I think it's a bigger problem than that. I think it, it's twofold. It's twofold for me. Is just and it starts with clamping down on the dissent so referees can you know the pressure on referees does get lessened and they're not thinking oh god am I going to be able to escape this ground and it's it's an issue right down from like FQPL 27 all the way up to the Premier League as well because it is one of the ugliest parts of football as well as simulation is just seeing half a dozen players getting up to the referee's face and screaming in it it is ugly it is pathetic and it is not something that uh, you really need to see. Um, anyway, three, two, one votes. It's one of you two. Uh, yeah, I'll, it's, uh, it's me it's actually. You. It's me. Our three for uh, Tom Aldred, two for Henry Hoare, and one for Kai Truen. Cool. All right. Well, okay. Now um, we're going to take a little bit of a uh, pause now for a halftime concert by Rihanna. Have we got her ready to come? Oh, okay. No, we don't she have said... the budget for that. And she also said, stop messaging me, asking me to come on a podcast. I don't do podcasts. Okay, good to know. Let's just move on to the A-League women's recap. And uh, the Roar and Victory played in uh, the Bowen Hill, sorry, uh, Parc de Paris. It was a 1-1 draw in sweltering conditions that I worked up a, uh, I worked up a sweat just putting my shirt on to go to the game. So I can't imagine how they handled running around for two hours in what was just stupidly hot weather. Have I made my point yet, Adam? Uh, yeah, I think you have because I'm going to make a point as well. And uh, look, first things first, I'd like to congratulate all the players that played in that game because that was very tough conditions and what quite, quite frankly was a really, really tough game to watch. It was not entertaining. Uh, I used other words off the, off the air to describe what I can't repeat on this show. But yeah, look, at the end of the day, um, this contest was ruined because... Of playing in the heat, and quite frankly, you, if if you require two drinks breaks per half plus half time to play a game of football, don't you think it may be a little too hot? And at the end of the day, the scheduling of this game at two o'clock Queensland time, it, it's ruining the product. It, it's like, and I'll say that about men or women. It, it, it's just, it is ridiculous 
that this game went ahead in that in such a game as we said on the preview last week, as people know, this is a big game. This was a six-pointer for the Raw and Melbourne victory because basically, you know, Melbourne victory, if they had a one, they, they pretty much lock up fourth place or finals football. If the Raw win, they're back in the hunt, you know, for finals. But we've got a, a, a meat tame one all draw simply because the players pretty much just ran air gas. And I can't I just cannot see how that was even you know, it was it was just not fun to watch. It was it was not fun to be there. And, and that you should never say that going to go football. And uh, yeah, like quite frankly, you know, it was actually amazing. A the players with the performance they put on and B the the people, the crowd that actually showed up, considering if it given presented the choice between a swimming pool and going to Perry Park. I think most people would chose the former. If you have a pool, if you have a pool, it was hard to um, it's hard to dissect the actual game, James, because it was so stop-start because of the all the drinks. Adam mentioned it was um two each for half plus the half time, plus there was the stoppage later on when Jesse Rashart went down. That was an extra basically drinks break on top of that. So they had about four or five drinks breaks over the course of ninety minutes. And my question is, what is it going to take, James, for the APL to actually step in and do something? This year, I'm, I don't. I saw they said last week we'll quite look at it at the end of the season, but that's too late. Other sports, like I can't stand the AFL from their insular nature to giving players a point for missing. There's not one thing I like about the sport, but when they have a problem in their game, they get all the stakeholders around the table and they say this isn't working. So in this case, you get the the league would say it's it's awful for the players. They can't perform to their maximum. It's awful for the spectators. They'd rather be at the pool by the pool or the beach, as Adam pointed out. It's awful for the for the broadcasters because the product is substandard compared to what it could have been if the game was played in better conditions. The NRL so get, sorry, get a sorry, solution. Scott, just just a, find a solution. There's, James gave one a couple of weeks ago on this show. It's on our socials there. You can go back and look at it. There's many ways you can do it, but they should be doing it now. Don't wait till the end of the season because we've already had. Shea Connors go down and earlier in the year with cramp where she had to be helped back to the bench because she could not actually run any further because of she'd run herself literally to a standstill. A couple of players went down with heat strike a couple of weeks ago. What is it going to take for them to actually do something about this? Because it's ridiculous. So I just want to jump in as well. Even even the NRL t- today come out and said with their trial games across New South Wales, they just put a blanket statement, we're pushing back all games one hour. No negotiation, no, no, oh, do we have to consult with the broadcaster or, or the, that whatever show they've got on, you know, that, that fake red zone crap they've got on. You know, it's just a case of, well, we're shifting everything back an hour. And that's the, and that's the almighty NRL. And they moved some games, not all games. They moved the Canberra and Sydney yep. game, which I think Canberra was the game last time when they played in Canberra where the heat stroke incident happened, I believe, James, and... They moved that game, but they didn't move the game at 2 p.m. in the Queensland summer, thinking, oh, 30-plus degrees in the middle of the Queensland summer, that'll be okay. Ridiculous. Yeah, like, yep. like, there needs to be some comments. I don't know if it's for the APL or somebody on the ground or whoever, but somebody should have said, no, this game is not going ahead at 2 p.m. We're going to go move it to at least four, preferably five. Yeah, that, to me, should have been the absolute yep. bare minimum because there was, what, there was an NPL game at... Uh, the venue afterwards, it was Eastern, oh, Kappa Pro Series, sorry. Uh, That was that game on a little bit later, but I don't think any of those guys would have minded if their game got pushed back to 7.30 just to make life a little bit easier. And 
Look, so when we were uh, on the pitch after the game, Adam, you were doing yeah. the interview with uh, Gareth. Like you, you look at um, you're trying to work it out and saying even a four o'clock kickoff would have been uh, fine because okay, most of the pitch is still in the sun at that stage, but by halftime you're probably looking at the shade being over at least the near side of the venue, and you know by full time you're probably getting most of it uh, shaded as well. Look, and that I will say as well, like the solution that I presented, it's not foolproof, it's not perfect, but it's better than what they've got. Yeah. Well, and also like it doesn't, like you, it's not going to you know be magically twenty degrees with a light breeze, you know after five p.m. But it's going to be a hell of a lot better, even if it's still twenty six, twenty seven. If you're playing in the shade, it is amazing what a difference that makes, as opposed to having the scorching like summer sun here in Queensland where summer lasts for six months in a good year it like you you're putting players at health at risk as well and like that was really not fun seeing Jesse Rash struggling in the final five plus minutes where like she she had also like uh, Connors earlier just run herself into the ground Scott yeah Again, well, I was going to say, they've got some time here now, James, because it's an international week coming up now with the Matildas games being played. So the APL have got some time here now, about two weeks for the next A-League Women's Games are due to kick off in this this awful time period. Get around the table and find a solution. Because up, two weeks later, it's still going to be hot. The next home game up here is in, what, three weeks? It's still going to be really warm then. If it's a hot day... And it's not, it's not raining that day. It's going to be a hot day, I can guarantee you. So, And even if it is raining, yeah. it's still maybe exactly. unbelievably so hot and They're going to be playing in the heat for the next six weeks or so. Yeah. Got some time now. Find a solution. Canberra and United v Western West Sydney Wanderers. 3 p.m. kickoff time in in Canberra on the 25th of February. If that, that There's no way that game should go ahead at that time. And then they shouldn't be praying and watching the forecasts and say, oh, let's just hope it's going to be 20, 21 degrees and you know, no humidity. Plan for the worst-case scenario. Plan for, oh, is that it's, it could be 36 degrees. Now, this is what I mean, but it's just, it just seems as though that, you know, who is running the game at the moment? And, that, and, that's what it, and that's what fans are asking. And, you know, like I said, and like I said, the fact that, you know, you had the, you know, some of my favourite people at the moment being the Raw Corps, actually singing in the drinks break saying it's too hot. I think it tells you all you need to know about what the fans think of, think is at the moment. So, and then they're some of the most dedicated fans. Even they, they was singing it's too hot. So, it's just like I said, it really ruined, it really ruined the game. And like, we, Gareth McPherson said that the players hate it. The players hate the, you know, the stop-start nature of the game. They're not built for playing, you know, every 15 minutes. They're built to play 45 minutes, you know, and, and you know, and two halves. Not, you know, like four, four breaks or whatever it is. And on that as well, like, it is just... It is frustrating for us because, like, all, like, if this was played just in a vacuum uh, or, you know, a domed stadium or something, this would have been an amazing contest as well. Like you look at the way both sides were set up, what was going on the line. It was fourth against fifth, I want to say. Yep. Uh, this should have been a game where, you know, the victory either put the finals uh, race to well, out, out of reach or the Raw said, hey, this is going to be, you know, something that we're going to be in right through to the end of the season. But instead, it stumbled to a pretty poor ending 
through no fault of the players, just because of the geniuses at head office who said, oh, you know what, we need to play it at two o'clock because that, that, that's for the best. I just, yeah. I, that is the most frustrating thing behind the whole, you know, player safety thing, which you know, allegedly they're worried about. If just to say one more thing, just, just looking at it, there was a game as well that kicked off at at uh, 2.20 local time, uh, Western United and Melbourne City on the same day in Melbourne. I, I don't know what the weather was, but I haven't heard many complaints about that. So, yeah, they, they got they got lucky. And that it was you know, a, a nice day, but still, you should be planning for the worst-case scenario, not hoping for the best. On, even if it was just something as simple as for the rest of the season say, all right, if the temperature is above 26 degrees or if it's hot enough to require drinks breaks, we're going to move the kickoff back. No, I'd go, I'd go one step further and say you scrap the, the 3 p.m. Eastern time kickoff just completely. You reschedule just, those games. I, I wouldn't even, to be honest, I wouldn't even bother to playing and waiting and hoping. Just scrap them. Just scrap the them. Only- if it clashes with an A-League men's game, so at least until April. At yeah. least until April, you have to scrap it. The only the only point I will say is, well, I'm just trying to think of a devil's advocate, best case compromise here, where you're saying, look, if you're playing a game in Melbourne and it's you know 16 degrees because it can be that in midsummer, you keep it there. But if if it's a game being played in Brisbane when it's meant to be 32 and abundant sunshine, all right, they're they're kicking off at uh, 6 p.m. Like, you give yourself that flexibility to say, all right, any game played now, we're going to move it later on because, look, we know we're in our own little world here where it is going to be hot probably through till about mid-April, maybe, during the day. Yeah. But at least, like, over the next couple of months, it is going to start cooling off in the southern states as well. You know, you've got Melbourne, which can be anything, you know, hour to hour you may not have to necessarily go as drastic as to change it. But again, like I would have no problem with them saying, yeah, all right, we're going to move all of these games back to um, 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. It's just about finding some sort of workable solution, but yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Anyway. It's also going uh, to be um, state-specific as well, because certain parts of the country are warmer than others at certain times of the year. So probably Queensland and Western Australia probably stay warmer for longer. Whereas you mentioned Victoria, New South Wales, South Australia probably cool off a little bit quicker. So I think there needs to be also venue-specific timing planning as well. So in, in Queensland, no games kicking off before five, let's be honest. And mm. in fairness, to, if Football Queensland can do that for the most part, yep. have barely any games kicking off before 5pm in the seniors, the A-League should be no different. Well, look, just to play... Again, devil's advocate here. I do think there are other considerations as well beyond just necessarily, you know, having a field that's, you know, 100 metres long and 50-something wide. Uh, It's a different broadcast standard as well on FQTV compared to Paramount with the lighting and everything as well. I know there is a point where you just say, deal with it, but I'm guessing there would also be certain other issues there. If Perry is good enough for Australia Cup, it should be good enough for a league game. Oh, no, I'm, talk- oh, no, I'm talking about um, AJ Kelly. Oh, yep. And also some of the other grounds around, although I'm fairly certain uh, next time we go out to AJ Kelly Park, they're going to say, yeah, we're fine, we could have done it. Oh, 
that. So, so that's that's a whole different can of worms, you know, as far as you know, suitability and all that, and you know, broadcast standards and all that. But yeah, they this, again, this is what happens when you try and you know, you you almost let television rule your scheduling above above all else. You know, it, you know, it, it is an entertainment product. It's like I get that, but the, it, when it comes down to it, your number one asset is your product on the field and when you see players not playing not playing at a hundred percent not because of anything other than they physically cannot that cannot be a good thing it's it just it just simply comes down to that yeah all right um three two one votes for the uh, game yep. uh I, Adam. I got that one uh for me three points to a jesse rashard I thought she had a had a great game and uh, like I said, just ran herself to to absolute uh, exhaustion and cramps. Two points, Shay Connors, uh, great goal, a brilliant goal. But also beyond that, she had a good game and she looks like she's back. She's starting to find her confidence again. And one one point to Jamila Rankin. I thought she was tremendous uh, at, at the back defensively. So that's uh, my votes for this round. There we go. It's a good point you mentioned Shay Connors. One thing on the football damage, Shay did have an outstanding mm. game on that left-hand side, and it was great to see her getting that confidence back in her game. It's been a while since she's been able to get on the score sheet, but the way she took that goal to the equaliser shows that she's getting right back to her best, which is good signs for the Raw going forward. Absolutely. A uh, confident Shay Connors is a good thing for whatever team Shay Connors is on. All right. Um, now, we did tease this a little bit earlier, and we'll sort of blend this into our weekend preview as well Scott um, Marco Monteverde had a chat with Warren Moon and it was a pretty eye-opening comments uh, from the Brisbane Raw boss yes it's a, these are these are quotes that he gave to Marco I think over the course of the weekend I've got to take responsibility for the way we're going it's probably time we find out what changes the club wants to make we haven't won for six games we've dropped down the ladder maybe it's time for a change and then it goes on to quote Ante Kovacevic, who says, Ultimately, we're not where we want to be. Nobody here, including Mooney, is happy with the situation. Yes, we've been unlucky with some decisions, but you also have to make your own luck. The club doesn't want to sack him. There's still time to save our season. So that was firstly Warren Moon, then Ante Kovacevic talking to Marco Monteverde of news.com.au over the weekend. And yeah, that's a little bit interesting, those quotes. Yeah, that was... Um, like. A blunt admission from Moon saying, you know, pretty much what we all had suspected, Adam, that uh, the season hasn't really gone the way anyone would have been hoping for. Yeah, but um, sort of hearing it again and sort of reading it again, uh, just the context of it is what's what's crucial to it all. Because, yeah, is he is he saying is he saying you know changes is that from a coaching point of view? Is it the play some players he's lost confidence in? But uh, look, I think the overarching message is that they are not where they want to be, and I don't think anyone would even dare try and suggest that the Raw are having a good season because, quite frankly, they're not. But um, yeah, it's very, very interesting quotes to see the public forum, and uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, how that's looked upon as far as you know in the in the wider fan base as well in the, in the wider league in general. Yeah, and look, I'm going to admit that it is a largely personal thing, but I like Warren. I want to see him staying uh, yep. in the job for as long as possible. I think he is a good manager who has been just by and large hamstrung by walking into a pretty rubbish situation taking over from his predecessor uh, in the midst of a global pandemic when the club, league, like overall resources in the game have just been unbelievably stretched 
especially when you consider that the Raw, you know, I don't think it was a secret that they weren't in the best position prior to COVID and whatever safety net they had, they're now frantically trying to rebuild ahead of the coming season, Scott. Yeah, I think it's first they were all very big fans of Warren Moon given what he's done around the local game. And he's a very good coach, to your point. And I think it's very clear, based on what Ante said, they're not going to remove him during the season. So they can anyone who wants that to happen can just scrap that thought because that's clearly not on the table. But it's interesting to hear when he talks about changes. I'll be intrigued to see what changes are made at the weekend. We assume Robbie Cruz will come in from missing the game last week. Sepovitz may very well come in from the start. There are things you would probably expect, but I'd be intrigued to see if there's somebody in that starting lineup who's been in there for the majority of the season who maybe finds themselves out of the side. I'd be very intrigued to see what happens. Because he made those changes last year, if you recall, James. They had a loss at home. I think it was to Wellington. Wellington, Wellington at home. They conceded a goal in transition, and within within about five minutes, he'd made a triple change, and, and two of those three players didn't play for the club again. So... He, was, he showed he was willing to make big calls then. I'll be intrigued to see if something changes this weekend and, and what that is, because I'm, I'm not going to give any ideas because I genuinely don't know, but I'll be intrigued to see if someone doesn't isn't involved this weekend, and that's the reason why. Well, I'll, I'll start off with just a couple of things. So I think the big difference between this year and last year is, yeah, there were like guys that didn't feature again after that Wellington game. I don't think this year effort is necessarily the issue. I think it just comes mm. down to execution. And look, the, there was a suggestion on um, the A-League's podcast, I think, with Daniel Garb, if he's back from his honeymoon. I I have to admit, I only uh, read it rather than um, listening to it. They were talking about possibly trying to bring in Gamulka to allow O'Shea to play a bit higher up the pitch and maybe switching to a 4-3-3 formation to cater for what should be a revamped attack. So you could see uh, Gamulka starting in that holding midfield role um, uh, paired with Kai Truen. Uh, my other suggestion would be Aldr- so if we're thinking of changes I would be looking uh, keep Holmes keep that back line largely intact I would possibly think about giving Noah Smith a start solely because I think he provided a couple of really good balls into the uh, box in his action against um, Central Coast he just wasn't quite there on the same page with Stepovic. Uh, you go for the midfield three of um, Truen and Gamulka screening. Push O'Shea up and just let him um, work a bit more in attack. And a front three, um, I'm thinking you freshen that up a little bit. And, you know, you, you give Armiento uh, a bit of a rest and keep him as an impact sub. You, uh, you put Stepovic um, up front and maybe pair him with, say, Cruz operating as that sort of wide playmaker on the left and uh, possibly even Canardi or Millen... Uh, Canardi, sorry, it's a hard C as I found out. Canardi on the right with... Um, or Millen, if you want uh, a little bit more buzz about your attack. So that's what i go with. I probably took a lot longer to get through that thought than I realised, but I was making it up as I went along, Adam. Uh, yeah, look, uh, and I, I I tend to agree. Uh, I think Noah, Noah Smith, I think, you know, he, he, he's a specialist uh, left back, which we haven't seen at the club for a little while. Uh, it's, it's obviously you've had you've had the likes of Carl Armiento start there. You've had Courtney, uh, Jordan Courtney Perkins also sort of you know, operating that left side. So he's he's normally you know a specialist left back. So that that might add a bit more balance. I, I like the pairing of um, of Gamulka and Truen in in midfield, and I think yeah, Jay O'Shea 
uh, look, he, yeah, I know we've, we've sort of discussed it off, um, sort of, you know, off recording that, you know, maybe he's, he might need a little bit of a break that, you know, he, he, only from a case of, you know, he's carried this side for a long time. And I think maybe those signs are starting to show that, you know, maybe, you know, just a bit of a freshen up for him. Like he, he's still playing at a decent level, but, you know, it's a case of you've got, you've got options now to cover, even if it's for a game or two, you know, may, you may as well use them while you can. And then maybe that's, maybe I said before, I don't know where, where Canardi goes. Maybe that's where he goes. He goes where Joe Shea would go with, in that midfield with uh, Gamorka and Truon as the screeners. Yeah, that's possibly the other uh, option as well, where O'Shea has just been doing so much work over the um, opening part of the season. He might honestly just need a bit of a breather, Scott. Remind me of your attack, James. It was Cruz, Sepovic, and... Either Milayuznic or Canardi. I'd go with Milayuznic in that situation, because I'd pretty much go with what you said in defence and midfield, so I didn't want to go over that. Again, I also think Henry Hoare is better Mm. off the bench at this point in his career. You've seen... Three, four, five times. So he's come off the bench with half an hour to go and had really big impacts in changing those games for the Raw, getting them back into games, maybe getting them a win in a couple of those games. So I think he's, I know he probably would be frustrated with the old Henrique super sub role, if you like, but I think at the moment, the way the squad's built, I think he's perfect for that role, maybe alongside Armiento in a double switch in terms of looking for a revamped, fresh attack off his bench after about the hour mark. I think those two are really good for that role. Yeah, and also just thinking out loud as well, where, you know, there, as Adam said, that could be the other option as well, where maybe you sw- uh, play Cruz out on that right and put Armiento on the left and Canardi uh, through the middle, if you do want to give O'Shea a little bit of a break, where <laughs> I, I think he's... I know results aren't always there, but, jeez, he's gone through so much work this year, hasn't he? Yeah, and actually, actually it's a main mention. I actually uh, completely forgot about Henry Hoare as well. Like, the... He, he he does he does what he does you know so quietly but you know you're right I, I didn't agree that maybe so, as an impact sub might be his his best goal at the moment I mean because that's what brought him to the dance that's what brought him to the, to prominence in the first place go you know, go back to what you know you know but like I said he's certainly one player that you know definitely will have a role to play I I know Carl Armiento has had you know, a very very good month but he's starting to show so, he shows show signs that maybe he's starting to tire as well and and you know, maybe teams are starting to work work him out specifically target him so so yeah look you know you you now got options and, that, and that's the most important thing you've got options i think you start need to use it you know again go back to the whole horses for courses sort of you know philosophy that you know the raw ones have because they certainly haven't been able to do that over the last uh, two months or so i just keep coming back to one simple thought process you've signed these guys play them the other thing about Armiento is you've got to remember he's coming off a, a serious knee injury with Perth, James, and he hasn't had a great deal of football. So maybe he's just hitting a wall slightly physically. Maybe you need to take him out of the heat of the starting lineup and bring him off the bench a couple of weeks just to freshen him up slightly as well. We're very interested to see what they do this weekend away to Sydney FC. A bit of a resurgent Sydney FC at the moment, aren't they? After their win in the derby, a win over the Mariners as well. So they've got a couple of good results, and I think it's fair to say this is a pretty much a must-win game for for Brisbane, given where Sydney are on the table, they one of the teams Raw would have to catch and over and overtake. So a win in this game at the weekend is pretty much almost essential. Yeah, it, for me, it's, they need they need to get something out of this game, and it 
99% of me is saying it has to be a win, but we also know Sydney is more than capable of throwing up a stinker here, and if they are going to make a play for finals football, this is going to be the sort of game they need to find a way to pull out. Adam? Yeah, look, it, it, it is... Um, it, even if, it, if it not mathematically, I, I think this season is almost a find um, in this 90 minutes on... On a, on Saturday night, I think that you know Sydney are a team that are there and abouts as well, and, they, and they, these are the games that they need to win if they have harbour any hopes of um, of playing finals football because it's pretty clear that both these teams won't be there, uh, you know, more than likely. So these are the points them and the game against Perth as well at home. It's a big couple of weeks coming up for the Raw. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And uh, you may be wondering why we haven't discussed the A-League women's match coming up this weekend. And, well, it's if you haven't been paying attention, it's because there are no A-League women's matches this coming weekend. There's an international break for the Cup of Nations, which gets underway Thursday, so tomorrow as we're recording. And, um, yeah, it's a pretty big year for the Matildas, starting with, we hope, a trio of good performances on home soil, Scott. Yes, a couple of games in the Cup of Nations down in... In New South Wales against Sydney, Gosford and Newcastle from memory. I'm not sure on the exact order, but they've got those three games coming up down there. So it's the start of what's a really busy year in the international game and the women's with the World Cup. And very much looking forward to that game tomorrow night to see what Tony Gustafson does do. Having, because he hasn't really had a lot of opportunity to look at the A-League women's in terms of bringing players into it. Because, it, well, he hasn't, sorry, he hasn't brought a lot of players in from the A-League women's, women's who haven't been there before. It's a very settled squad. So I'll be interested to see what steps he takes forward with another week of training, looking ahead to the World Cup, because I imagine at least a couple of these games will be treated as a dress rehearsal for, for certain situations that they want to replicate during the tournament itself. I think uh, yeah. Czech, Czech Republic uh, t- tomorrow night, Thursday night in Gosford, I think that, that's going to be an interesting game, because it's a sort of game... I know that the uh, up until the last sort of international break that uh, Matildas were a little bit, you know, fragile against European opposition. Czech Republic are not, not in the top tier uh, in terms of Europe. So it, you, you would think that they should be our handle. Spain, that's going to be in, in Sydney on Sunday. That's going to be... Uh, a very very interesting contest. Are Spain bringing their full team, or is it a secondary no, team? It's a, no, it's a secondary team from what I've read. But okay. their, their secondary team should still be very very competitive. Uh, and then look look let's let's be honest they they should beat Jamaica on um, they should be in Newcastle uh, next Wednesday I do believe so so yeah so I, I think you know if if go away you know even uh, you'd, you'd hope that you know they potentially you know at least two wins out of this. But it looks Spain again. That's going to be a very interesting, interesting game. And so, so yeah. Look, but I think that you know, again, we've got to remember this is not the end of you know, it's not the end goal. That uh, that basically there's a lot bigger fish to fry uh, down the road. That there are, and there are going to be much bigger fish for us to fry on the Brisbane Football Review coming up in the coming weeks. So that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you, Scott. Fry them in the Queensland summer heat, James. Yeah, I'm sure you could have uh, cooked them on the halfway line at Perry Park on Saturday. Thank you, Adam. Yes, thank you and good night. And after all that talk of food, I'm going to go eat some dinner. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week to recap all of the action from the Raw and NPL and a little bit of a Cup of Nations. And uh, stay tuned as well to NPL Sunday, available on our podcast feed. Um, Just let me check NPL Sunday. I guess that would be on uh, Sunday night, Scott. 
Yes, that's it. We're uh, in the process of compiling some uh, interviews for that, and we'll be bringing you that because their season gets underway. Well, the NPL men's season gets underway on uh, Friday the 24th of February as well. Catch all that action on FQTV. I would strongly recommend tuning into uh, Rochdale, Gold Coast United in the Kappa Pro Series this Friday night. <laughs> no specific uh, reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cheap plug. Hey, of course I'm cheap. Have you met me? Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week on the Brisbane Football Review. We'll talk to you then.